1: This week the Bookshelf Cinema is screening What We Did on Our Holiday Irrational Man Bikes vs. Cars Unbranded Jimmy's Hall African Grandmother's Tribunal Trainwreck and more and at the E-Bar Tara Lightfoot and Donovan Woods play on September 24th and on September 26th check out That's My Drag The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph for more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Creative control with Khan. If you're hearing this on time and can get to Toronto, please go see Sclerus White play a free show at soundscapes a music store on college street in toronto as uh, sclerus white we're on the show i consider them friends of the show so go see them they're playing uh, this free thing uh, it's like a new store on the 24th at 7 p.m soundscapes look it up you should go i'm just saying just saying that right now they're also opening for godspeed you black emperor in toronto this week as well so there you are a great great group on this episode, a conversation with some uh, alumni. Alumni? Alumnus. An alumnus of the show, Destroyer. Dan Behar is back on the show. This time we're going to talk about his new album, Poison Season, which just came out. And it's remarkable. I'm really a fan of it. It spins my head a little bit. I'm trying to figure it out. Try to get to the bottom of it with Dan. And it's a really good conversation. You'll hear new music from this record as well on this episode. So here it is, myself, Dan Dan Behar. Enjoy, go see Scleris White. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas, or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread Pizza Trocadero has it all You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph Or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H.ca. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade
2: Losses from above Deny
1: Making moniker of Dan Behar, a very gifted lyricist and musician who originally hails from Vancouver, British Columbia, he has been creating an idiosyncratic kind of pop music as Destroyer for almost 20 years, and can also claim membership in bands like the New Pornographers, Swan Lake, and Hello Blue Roses, among others. His latest work as Destroyer is a startlingly great new album called Poison Season. It's out now via Merge Records, and it's prompted him to tour the world over over the next few months, including Canadian stops in Toronto at the Danforth Music Hall on September 30th, and in Montreal at Théâtre Fairmount on October 1st. Here to discuss some of these things is Dan Behar. Hi, Dan. How are you?
3: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: I'm pretty good. I stumbled over my uh, intro. That's never good. Oh, come on. It happens to the best of us, I think.
3: You recovered with grace.
1: I tried. I tried. I'm, I'm, I'm... you're not supposed to point out your mistakes either. And now I'm making another mistake. Where, uh, <laughs> where, where are you, uh, Dan? It sounds like you're near some water.
3: I'm near a street called Commercial Drive, but there's these little park benches, um, kind of by a community center, right off, right off of it. But it's kind of like might still be too trafficy. I just moved to a park bench slightly farther away
1: okay, that's traffic. It's not waves crashing. It's it's our-
3: not waves, man. Okay. No, I wish I wish I could say I was on the on the Italian Riviera or wherever you want to I mean, screen us.
1: People are listening. we could say anything. We could say where you're anywhere, really.
3: It's true. Yeah, they're powerless against our <laughs> lies.
1: <laughs> this is in, you're in Vancouver area? Yeah,
3: I'm in Vancouver. I'm at home.
1: You're at home. That's nice and you're leaving soon so i mean this is i looked at your tour dates and there's a lot of dates coming up you must be how do you feel right now when you have all of this travel ahead of you
3: honestly probably like i feel ill at ease <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but kind of kind of excited to um like stoked to get on stage i guess to actually like to, Play music for real um that so that part's that part's good you know um am I ready to live on a bus for a month and then take like a week break and then go live on a bus for another a few weeks after that you know I'm never like I, I'm never quite ready but you f- fall into it, you know, like soldier's duty yeah you, know? you get you get the hang of it pretty fast.
1: I ask this because I think that there are certain motifs on the record that suggest, on the new record, Poison Season, that suggest that it, it, it could be like a travelogue. There's just a mention of different cities, met, metropolitan cities in particular, and I was just curious about your relationship to travel, because you don't strike me as someone who would love to be on tour all the time, uh, but at the same you, know, time, you, you seem worldly, yeah, worldly at the same time.
3: I feel like I've always taken a certain amount of inspiration from... Um, from being on the road, maybe, or, like, from just travel in general. Um, At least when I was younger. um, When I was writing the record Kaplot, I think I took zero inspiration from that and took inspiration from elsewhere. But, um, I mean, I guess it's possible the Destroyer toured, like, maybe... you know, like three or four times more than it ever had after Kaput came out, so I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and I don't I don't know if if Poison Season is a travelogue record, but it's definitely like um it's a record of, that involves disorientation.
1: Yeah and it, it evokes certain cities for sure. I I can picture them. I can picture famous sites within those cities. You know what I mean? It's a very vivid. That's cool. Even I feel like listening to your album, I feel like I've gone on a trip.
3: That's great. That's good. You know? I think like you know, it's all quite fictional. I think when making the record, I wanted it to have like a very um you know, I wanted it to have like the force of a film. You know, which is something that can take you into a, an environment really fast
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and in a way that's quite vivid, you know. Um, I think that was important. I think there's it's, a certain, I think there's probably like a certain fleeting element also to the lyric sheet.
1: Yeah, I want to ask you about the lyric sheet in, in a little while, but it's interesting that you mentioned cinema. Because I'm, what I want to ask you about is theatricality. Your new album has been described as theatrical. You've been described as theatrical. Do you like the theater or theatrical things generally? I'm not sure. I've ever seen a play,
3: so I'm I'm not one to. Uh, I'm not a good person to ask.
1: Um, you, you've never seen a play at all in your entire life, like not in high school, not anywhere.
3: <laughs> I kind of remember seeing one in high school. I kind of I've. I've really like I've seen them less than any human being I know I think, um, but I really like reading plays. Uh, maybe it's like my favorite form of literature to read actually, because it cuts out all the boring shit,
2: hmm.
3: um, and it's forced to take place in a kind of like a poetic world. Just because realism on stage seems blown from the get-go, you know, so it has to. It has to take place in a universe that's, um, you know, like just kind of very mythic right away. Uh, I don't know, though, if I, I'm not a theatrical person. I don't think I am. I think I got into a certain American tradition of songs for the first time ever in my life. I, I put myself in, in the American tradition. And that tradition happened to be, like, the kind of classic uh, early, mid-20th century songbook um, that, you know, has been combed over for, like, jazz standards
1: and shit like that.
3: What? That also happens to be what people refer to as show tunes, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Like, you know, and maybe a little you like know? Cole Porter or something, maybe. Yeah, things like that.
3: Things that have, like, were definitely, like, uh, born of Broadway in the early days. Timpan Alley, I think they called it as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think I got into those songs, I guess, a little bit because I got into jazz records and then I got into jazz singers. And then I discovered that those those were the songs that they sang and I think it kind of infiltrated my singing and even my writing, even though I wasn't expecting that to happen.
1: I just want to clarify, are you, are you suggesting that you are aware that people are ascribing those things to your new record or are you sort of coming clean and saying... Those are things that maybe do inform this record.
3: I would say that I think people make um, I think people make those leaps and I also think that I got into those songs for the first time ever so yes they do they do inform the record.
1: yeah okay I just I want to be clear on that Now do you yeah um, knowing what I know of your influences, people you've cited, uh, people that I hear within your work. I think that you are drawn to people who make grand gestures in their music. Um, Whether that is, you know, you used the term mythical earlier, and, and sometimes I think that you are among the songwriters I can think of that apply mythical tone within your lyrics. Like something, it's storytelling, but it also seems fantastical or something. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this notion that rock or pop music might just be inherently theatrical. I know you say you're not, you don't think of yourself as theatrical. You've not seen a play (laughs) really, but uh, do you think that this form or the forms that you're exploring maybe have an inherent theatricality?
3: I don't really know. I don't
1: think so. I mean, usually when I listen to pop music
3: these days, all I hear is like the lyrics, what people are saying just strikes me as like the utmost banality. Hmm. Uh, which generally is what we think of as the opposite of, like, um, kind of like myth like mismaking or like a kind of arch like poetic attack to speaking or singing or art making. You know, like it couldn't be more everyday.
1: Well, you now you're talking. Pop, you're talking lyrically. What about performance? Performance wise,
3: um, I don't know. Performance wise, I, I think it's too for me. It's too divvied up. You know, like there's what's recorded or the song and then i guess there's what you do with it but just because you take your song and you perform it in front of like uh the most amazing fourth of july fireworks display it doesn't make it any more grand you know
1: hmm. so you so you don't think that i mean again i i think that when i listen to people like i don't know bob dylan bruce springsteen david bowie i feel like they are. Some of their work is informed by these grand, dramatic gestures.
3: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I was. I guess I was thinking of, like, super popular things that are super popular right now. Oh, um, oh and I I'm probably. I'm. I'm. I'm probably like just blanking on stuff that's a, a good example of what you're talking about.
1: Have, but- you, have you heard of uh, meatloaf?
3: I have actually. I know much more about meatloaf than I do about Bruce Springsteen. That's for sure.
1: Really? Yeah. You're not. Are you not? Is that? Does that? Are you suggesting you're just not a, a Bruce Springsteen fan, and you are? You're not saying you're a meatloaf fan. You just don't know anything about Bruce Springsteen.
3: I mean, I don't know Bruce Springsteen's music. While I know the record "Bad Out of Hell," I think quite well. Or like, I know Jim Steinman's songs probably a lot better than I know the songs of Bruce Springsteen. Interesting.
1: You've not have you yeah. sat down with Born to Run, the album Born to Run? The, the uh,
3: I know I know some of the some of the bigger songs off of it, but I generally I can't uh I don't get through a whole album as
1: not a um, fan. Not a fan at all.
3: Not not really a fan, no. Interesting. Okay. There's elements that I like, but it's like it's kind of like um... a... <laughs> I never know when i'm landing myself in hot water anymore but uh i was gonna say there's this kind of like italian operatic jersey version of of like dylan that i kind of i do like or i find like entertaining that springsteen does yeah um you know um it's very like operatic but still har- like harboring this interest in you know like in some ways surrealist imagery and Amer like american imagery
1: uh epic american imagery
3: epic american imagery like you know like he really likes bob dylan but i think there's super key important things to bob dylan which have completely gone over his head
1: well but there's also within that particular record that i'm describing sure he likes bob dylan but he also likes phil Spector. he also yeah. likes uh you know he likes motown i mean there's that stuff—it is a very American listening it's experience. It's true. And it
3: definitely—it definitely works as pop as pop music in a way that's way more effective, I think, than like Dylan or Van Morrison, which is probably the stuff that he was really into when he first started. You know.
1: Yeah. Well, I—I I, I bring him up not to dwell on him. Because, uh, certainly, if you're not a fan, but there's there are moments on your record that there's the song "Dream Lover" that really recalls uh Springsteen and I and it's I, I like when this happens when I when I hear a thing in an artist and they say never heard of him or never never listened to that guy
3: no but I do know I mean I obviously have heard of Springsteen but yeah I don't put on his records you know I don't I don't play them um I know like there's there's some auto there's like kind of a, like an automatic nerve reaction that happens when people hear a wailing sax I think like
1: oh that could be it You're I right. think
3: I think a lot of things could remind someone of Clarence Clemens, and then that, uh, you know, without actually having the song sound Springsteen esque, but um, you'd have to take that up with Joseph, <laughs> and I intend to. <laughs> the minute I see him tomorrow.
1: This is uh, Joseph Shabison. He, I remember he went to do these sessions for Poison Season, and then I saw him shortly thereafter, and he said it was wild. He said it was, uh, the, the the Destroyer music that was being made was mind-blowing to him. Um,
3: well, I mean, I think Kaput was such a casual thing for him. Like, he just came in and uh, had never heard the songs and just kind of soloed all over them for a couple hours, and that was it, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And we just went cherry-picking later on when, it was, when we were mixing the record. And this was kind of different, you know? There was, like... We wanted kind of more bona fide layered arrangements for a lot of the songs, and um you know we 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 rang him dry,
1: yeah yeah okay well i, I mean he he sounded pleasantly he was he was pleased to be exhausted, I think when he got yeah back. I, I
3: think I think it's a tiring weekend for him,
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think he enjoyed it, I mean, when I spoke That's with good. him, he really enjoyed it now we've talked about uh, theater a little bit, we've talked about you've brought up film. I'm curious, again, I don't know if we're going down a a weird path here, but what about musicals or or Bollywood film? Do you relate to song-driven narratives at all?
3: Yeah. I guess I have more of a history with that stuff than most most people do. I have really early memories of my parents watching those films. Um, And so I do have a history with that stuff in ways that many people I know have no history in fact they see it as like maybe the most aberrant shitty art form that exists (laughs) and i am very hard pressed to talk them out of that stance you know i gotta be honest but it's in there it's in me and i don't deny it
1: well there's something so strangely it's packaged as this pleasant thing but musical is about the most surreal form i can think of uh, yeah, it I mean, just makes no sense. It makes no sense. I grew up having to watch. I don't think we called them Bollywood films at the time. We just called them Indian movies. And, yes. And it was weird. There's the every movie seemed to be three or four hours, and it, <laughs> and every fight was punctuated by a song and dance sequence. And none of it made so it cool. It, never, it is cool, but I mean, at the time, I was just like, "What the hell is that?" Like, I don't yeah. understand. And so, I don't know. I was just wondering if any of those conceits in Foreign Poison Season, like, it sounds like you have the show tunes thing that you were immersed in. And then now I'm, like, based on this last answer, it sounds like within you, there is this musical thread. And I'm trying to, you can hear me. I, th- I hope it, this feels like a valiant struggle and not just a desperate one. I feel like I, there's something in this record that I'm trying to unpack. And it's. I
3: think. I mean, those things are there, and they've probably been there for a long time, you know? It's just that I think Poison Season is probably the most blatant uh, example of me just making a record that is just, like, quite literally just the kind of shit that I like, you know?
2: Hmm.
3: It's like, it's very simply laid out as, this is just just what I'm into, um, unabashedly. So I mean there's something in my up, in my upbringing that maybe exposed me to that stuff. But I mean really the thing I kept thinking about before I got started actually making the record was like the song Mack the Knife.
2: Huh.
3: Um and like and like a uh, Sweet Penny Opera. And it's also the way that song um got watered down and americanized uh into like this kind of like swinging light jazz standard um but that song is like such a dark song like such a such a gnarly song and my first plan was to try and cover it it was gonna be like the first song on the record and i never could figure out a way to sing it um but that has a lot to do with the things i was thinking about and then there's other songs that are just like you know just me being really obsessed with like um johnny hartman and john coltrane's version of lush life or a couple of versions of um like i love You, porgy uh, which is a song that kind of tears at me i don't know why um huh. so you know th- those are kind of like within the musical tradition but they're also not exact it's not exactly oklahoma it's different you know um it's like it's like the holly the Hollywood aspect of it doesn't really interest me uh and I don't think that's what I chased after
1: It seems to me based on what you're saying that you you seem to have become interested and fascinated by interpretation by misinterpretation by people taking or adapting other people's work or or absorbing it in ways that maybe possibly Skew the intent of the original, and I'm curious about that. And, and you're—it just seems like you're kind of railing against—I don't know—false reproduction or something.
3: I don't really know. I don't think there's any like I don't know what the politics of it are. I know I started getting into the idea of singing singing songs that were out there in the world. You know, it probably first started after Kapuk came out, and I was just like, you know, I'm really just going to explore the idea of me as a singer. i made this i made this this short record of me seeing some some spanish language covers Mm -hmm. and just like um i think it was a part of me uh as a like a way to not get too hung up on my own writing you know and i thought it was important to think of to be a singer first and a writer after that or like for me to write the kind of material I'd like to sing, but for that not to be the kind of be all end all of it. Um, And that's maybe when I got more and more into like these kind of vocalists who didn't write their own stuff and kind of predated like the rock era and, and just interpreted things, but made them very much their own and had like a style that was so honed in, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean this um, this is also straying into this notion of theatricality in, in the sense of being an actor. Uh being someone who is taking someone else's thoughts and ideas and intention and, and sort of conveying them for them. Um being an interpreter, being a conveyor of something. Uh I, I and I didn't I know that you mentioned the, the, the Spanish language record. I mean I'm curious how much thought you've actually given putting out a a covers record now that you you know you're very established and have developed your own voice and phrasing and 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 perspective uh it would be fascinating to me to hear you make a, a covers record
3: yeah i think it would be cool you know um but i like for some reason when i did the the five spanish songs i just really wanted i really wanted to kickstart something you know i didn't need to get back into the studio i felt like it'd been a long time mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't have my head wrapped around what few songs I had written should sound like, and I didn't really have that many songs. Um, but I felt like singing, and I felt like doing it in like kind of a like the most natural way possible. Right. right. Um, bizarrely enough, that would be not in not in English, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I I don't have much experience singing other. Other people's songs because I've I've made, maybe internalized too much the idea that my voice is kind of strange and just part and parcel of the weird words I write and maybe doesn't work outside of that but I think I'm busting loose of that slowly you know
1: yeah yeah no, this speaking of busting loose I want to ask you about some of the movements in these songs because I've been struck by by many of them and I'm just gonna I'm gonna home in on one thing and I just want to get your uh, interpretation of, about the arrangement for the song forces from above because i i like it i like the way it moves it goes you know for people who haven't heard it it it's a weird one and i want i want to hear what you have to say about it dan uh, someone's peeling out right there yeah i know <laughs> they
3: they left someone else in the dust <laughs> um that was one of the earliest songs you know and I think it's there's like one or two songs which uh are kind of remnants of when I still thought it was important to be genre specific kind of what I mean by that is that there was a point where I I thought I should make like a a disco salsa record or a salsa disco record I don't really know what the term is but it sounds delicious um, it sounds like something very, I'd like yeah, to eat some, yeah. something something that tastes good <laughs> um but something very Latin-influenced that is very danceable. Sure. Forces from above started like that. Um, But it kind of morphed into something, I don't know, like it's a lot more ragged and sinister.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: Sounding, but still with this um, kind of triumphant ending, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird song, and it came. It, it's it's like one of the songs. It's not really just the band live off the floor. It's kind of built of a lot of disparate parts, like between the kind of frenetic percussion that happened, and then the kind of bands take what the band laid down on top of that, right? And then what the string quintet did, like months later after that, you know, like the string arrangement that Stefan came up with and all together, it just kind of turned into this like strange hushed beast, you know?
1: Um, yeah. And it just goes in weird. It, it seems to be going in a direction that makes sense. And then towards the end, it swells into something else completely. Yeah. So I, and I, I it's interesting that this was one of the earliest compositions. Cause when I, when I hear it, Knowing that, it feels like it's some some amalgam of what the album intended to what was intended to be and what it became. Um, in terms I think of, I mean I
3: think the song changed a lot over the course of <clears throat> over the course of a year. You know, because at one point I wanted it to be just like just like a kind of a groovy song with with weird lyrics, but then I don't know when I laid the vocals down and when Josh laid his his parts down um just the way the band played it there's just like a kind of a tension that ran uh that ran all the way through it and started to be much less of a feel-good number um which in the end really suited my purposes for this record because i had i didn't want to make a feel-good number
1: right even though you were conjuring show tunes potentially and 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 whatever other musicality was within you, <laughs> like there is a kind of an uplift to some of the stuff you're drawing from.
3: I think so. I mean, you can use those forms, but still, I mean, you can be as downtrodden as you want with any within any form, really. Yeah, yeah. I think you know.
1: What was the process? All that stuff is just me. It, it is. Yeah, yeah. I hear what you mean. I hear what you're saying there. What was the process like to bring the string and orchestral arrangements sort of out of your head and into real life? You. You mentioned a few of the people that you worked with, but how did that work out exactly?
3: That's pretty weird, you know? Um, It happened very independently from the rest of the music, so there was definitely like an element of anticipation and suspense, and if this doesn't work, we're fucked, because at that point, I had kind of given a lot of weight to the importance of the of the string arrangements and i still do i really felt like they were they were something that was like at the heart of the record you know yeah and it was also totally outside of my control because i don't really i don't speak that language you know when a bunch of like classical musicians come into come into a room to punch the clock for four hours and read their charts they're either going to nail it or they're not you know um I definitely didn't feel like I had the ability to guide the proceedings, um, and Stefan's arrangements I knew were going to be were going to be different takes on on the songs than what I would have come up with, or even the feel of what the band laid down. You know, because that's kind of why I asked him. I knew he didn't really have much interest in you know being like a pop music string arranger. It wasn't his background. Um I knew that there would be like definitely in a lot of spots some kind of you know dissonance from like like between like the natural state of the song and his vision of it, but in the end, you know in the end, I really loved that um it it created like a lot of like really cool head scratching moments for me.
1: That's weird. You just basically, I mean, I've had friends who've done this as well because on some level, I feel like uh, string arranger people are basically like uh, mechanics or any other specialist that you have to call in when you're like, I can only do so much here. I can't fix my fridge. I need to get someone. And they tell you what's going on and you have to trust them. And I, I don't know if you wrote these arrangements or if you just said, go for it and uh no
3: i I just sent him like some demos with a, like the they had like a couple melodic motifs attached, and he and he just went for it, and i mean this the arrangements don't show up one like completely intact, you know there was like mixing on our part involved, and you know a bit, some editing here and there, but um they're they're pretty true to form, you know um and but i I knew that he also wasn't he wasn't gonna be someone who did like a kind of a a workman's job on it it was gonna be uh, I don't know it's gonna be more out there than that
1: yeah no it sounds lovely i'm I'm curious to know how you will bring this to life live unless you're bringing a string section with you
3: um we're really not supposed to talk about it. I mean, like, what? Do you uh... mean, what? <laughs> because of <laughs> the, the <fact>. because <laughs> of the
1: government? Why not? Why can't we talk about it?
2: <laughs>
1: Am
3: I? I think up? it comes. It comes up, and I and I guess uh, my answer has always been, yeah, we're going to figure it out, and in the end, um, well, I don't know. I don't know. We got one more practice left. We'll see what happens.
1: Oh I we're
3: not we're not we're not touring as a thirteen piece to answer your question,
1: right yeah. that's what I mean, and you're, yeah. you're you're upset by the fact that people bring it up because it puts pressure on you and these songs
3: not at all, I'm just joking, okay, I just think it's like it's definitely been something that's you know forced us to rearrange things and attack the songs in different ways and I think that's that's good, uh like replicating things has never really been. The Destroyer Forte live, no,
1: no, um, no, of course
3: not. Uh, and you know they they add a lot to the songs, those arrangements. But at the same time, I feel like I feel like once we're on stage, things are just mostly like I don't know if they feel good and they sound good to us, then we do it. And well. if it's if it's sounding bogus, then we ditch it.
1: To be clear to people who maybe haven 't yet heard the record, this is not a fully formed austere classical record i mean it 's also a, really a rock record
3: yeah, yeah, no, I mean there's definitely the f- maybe more than any other destroyer record you could feel like the real like the presence of an actual band at work over the course of a few like of a series of songs you know yeah, and that's that's like um probably probably what we'll steer into on stage because that's kind of what made me want to do this record in the first place was like the sound that we that we whipped up in 2012 playing a shit ton of shows together uh you know my mind kept going back there and um and wanting wanting to record that and document that and that's like the really the bulk of a poison season is
1: yeah yeah Am I wrong in thinking that poison season is a relatively sparse record in terms of language and and your voice generally? It feels like you're you're kind of consciously holding back here and there is that am I off the mark
3: I think so i I'm not totally sure I didn't like i didn't use my word countometer on it, but <laughs> I, f- <laughs> I feel like there's maybe more going on than there was in kaput though kaput had a couple songs like uh bay of pigs and um suicide demo for carol walker that uh had reams of words and maybe poison season doesn't really have that
1: well there's a lot i think there's a
3: lot of restraint in the vocals but i don't know i feel like and they're kind of quiet in a lot of ways but i feel like um I don't know. I was hoping that there was like a quiet intensity to them.
1: It it seems like the words come in batches or like there's a, f- a fluttering, or a smattering of, of, of words and then they disappear for potentially a minute or two and then they come back. Yeah. And it just struck me that that's not, I don't know. I mean, I think you've done all sorts of things, so it's hard to say that this is definitively different um, because you've made very dynamic records, as you say um but i just wondered about it it seems to suit the the the, the tone and yeah. i guess maybe I, I don't want to use the word drama but it seems to suit the arc of the songs to kind of come in and out the way you have been so i, I just wondered if yeah if that's just part of it is it a narrative device is it a is, a is it something from i don't know i was just curious about it
3: i think that's like just the way i'm going that's just the way that's just the path I could be wrong, you know, I say all sorts of things and and then they end up different, but um, it's, you know, you're not wrong to say it's vastly different from how I was writing and singing 10 years ago uh, when we were making, you know, Destroyer's Rubies or some record like that. Yeah. Um, And I'm, you know, definitely into um giving the music like room to breathe and creating space in it and having the vocals be like um, kind of more of a formidable presence and a constant presence. Uh, you know, yeah. and there's like something maybe more, more intimate about, about this approach in, in a lot of ways.
1: Well, you, you also have, I'd say comparably minimal um, voice And then, relatively speaking, a rather dense, lush musical bed for you. You know, you mentioned having a real live band with you and and all these strings. and Yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. I think at the end of all of this, I just think it's weird, and I'm trying to figure it out. I like it a lot, but I think it's weird.
3: I think it's a pretty strange record, too. You know, it's like, um, I really like it. It sounds like uh, the style of record that's closest to me, you know? Yeah. But it's also, yeah, like very kind of strange. It's just like, in some ways, like a very placid and resigned kind of singing. In other ways, the record seems like completely unhinged.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's it's totally strange. (laughs) Yeah, it's a, it's very much an emotional roller coaster or something. I I don't know how to describe it. Um, we, uh, some of us anyway, have been thinking a lot about America over the last, uh, particularly the last little while, it's been a volatile place and, and you as a marker on your record sing quite a bit about Times Square, or at least that uh, when I hear it, I'm thinking of the most famous Times Square. And I was curious as a place and a concept, what does, what does Times Square represent to you? I don't know. I never
3: gave it a second thought till I wrote that song, you know, um, I was just kind of like strumming the song. I hadn't picked up the guitar in years to write a song. And I started kind of making up this song on the spot that had like a very, you know, kind of 70s Lou Reed style. Yeah. uh, Kind of lope to it. And um, I don't know, I got to this like, I got to this part where it's like you could fall in love with something. And Times Square just blurted out of me. Uh, and I think at the time I was thinking of just like, I was thinking of a grotesque or like a really backwards thing for someone to fall in love with, almost like something that was impossible to fall in love with. Um,
1: yeah, there's, there's like in, a, there's incredulity you know? and sarcasm and, and, uh, and, yeah, shock. It's when kind you deliver.
3: of like, yeah, there's like, it's kind of like bitter, but uh, bitter, but like kind of, uh, kind of applauding at the same time you know it's like like a heroic gesture of falling in love with something that's just like impossible to love (laughs)
2: um
3: and also maybe morally wrong to love because like in when i think of Times square when i take a step back i just think of like in its current state just like um gain unchecked you know just like this ridiculous hyper symbol of American capitalism or something. And uh, to imbue that with some kind of like romantic sentiment, you know, it seems like totally, totally fucked, but kind of, uh, I don't know. It seemed like it instantly f- seemed to mean a bunch of things at once, which I kind of like, you know, and it just was also really fun to sing. It f- you know this is usually the bottom line about anything you know it's like it was like really fun to spit out in that way um like the words struck me as really odd and distinct side by side which is weird for an expression which is just like so every day and you know something that's just like been around my whole life yeah, when I
1: he- heard the song. like looking
3: at you know like looking at something for the first time and it's se- like and it strikes you as you've seen it a million times but for some reason you look at it and it seems like like you've never seen it before.
1: Well, that's interesting. That's the interesting thing about Times Square. It has evolved so much in my lifetime. Um, you know, before I could even experience it, it was it was basically a cesspool of pornography and um, homelessness and 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 it was it was crime-ridden and hard it was was thought of as a hard part of new york and yeah with various shifts in mayoral leadership it got cleaned up and sanitized and strangely now it's a beacon it's weird
3: yeah i guess it i guess the fact that it's gone to so many so many versions of itself you know was something that i liked um, especially cause like as a kid, I just associated it with this kind of taxi driver version of New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And taxi driver is like a movie I'm really into as far as like, well, I love the soundtrack and I just love the physical quality of the
1: movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
3: it's something that I think I was actually probably more than like, um, more than like Fellini movies, which I also or, like, eight and a half for La like Dolce Vito, which yeah. are the movies I was thinking a lot about when making Poison Season. I think Taxi Driver is like something that I was thinking about a lot as well. And just like <clears throat> Times Square being the like the original home of, what, you know, kind of like 1920s kind of Broadway glitz and glamour. And then yeah, what happened to it after the war, how it just like kind of became dissolute uh, and then cleaned up in, in the late 80s and 90s, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm starting to get the sense that whether you like it or not, there's all this something is is magnetizing you to New York with Broadway. I don't know. I, it's strange. It seemed
3: it seemed like the record had something invested in uh, in every single one of those eras. Yeah. Though so I'd never really thought about it until just seeing it right now. But
1: and and you've never lived in New York. You don't have a particular affinity for New York. I mean, I spent some time
3: there um, like 14, 15 years ago. I've never lived there. Um, I've never gone out of my way to go there. (laughs) 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 I don't think about it. (laughs) So I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, because the song happens three times, thought that it was like a real, like kind of linchpin for the record, which wasn't... uh, which isn't really the case. Um, You know, that happened for very specific reasons.
1: Well, it's fine and dandy for you to say that, but I think the fact that it appears three times makes it significant. I don't think... (laughs) You're probably probably right about that. (laughs) You can say whatever you want to me, but I have the evidence that it's significant because it's on the record three times, so... Uh yeah I guess
3: yeah yeah I mean I guess you're right I know I know what it's doing there and I know that it's um it's not like I wrote the rest of the record around that song but I guess it is the framework of the album that I guess that much is undeniable, just because it's laid out for anyone who wants no, to listen to it.
1: No one can argue that. Yeah, it's true. no.
3: I can't. I cannot least even. Least of it all myself. you. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> You're not you are not going to win. So, <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah, gonna... so it. For me, it's like it when we laid out when we split the orchestral version in half and laid out the record the way we did. Um. Some I don't know things just really came into focus. Uh, And it felt felt good, so it has that power at least.
1: I think it works. I I I think there's something (laughs) going on that you and I are not going to be able to figure out tonight. But I think uh, there's something going on on this record, (laughs) and and, uh, this helped. This helped me a little bit. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate. Okay. Appreciate the time. All right, man. What's uh, What's next for you? What's going on with Destroyer? Beyond the touring, thinking about
3: in about five minutes, maybe less. My wife and daughter are going to pick me up off this street corner,
2: uh-huh.
3: and in about 36 hours or something, I'm going to get on a tour bus and disappear for a month, <laughs> and then <laughs> come home for a few days, and then fly off to Europe and do the same thing. Right. Uh, and after that, I can't, I can't say. I, I, I want to do a whole lot of nothing. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah,
1: that, that makes sense to me. Well, once again, the new Destroyer album is a brilliant one. It's called Poison Season, and it's out now via Merge Records. And he's touring the world over the next few months, as you just heard, including Canadian stops in Toronto at the Danforth Music Hall on September 30th and in Montreal at Théâtre Fairmount on October 1st. For more information about all of these things, please visit MergeRecords.com. Uh, Dan, before we go, is there a song from Poison Season we can go out on that uh, you would like to select? I like
3: the song Bangkok.
1: Oh, okay. Why is that? Yeah. Why do you like I that
3: song? I don't know. Song? I really like the ending of it. <laughs> and I really like the ending, and I feel like I sing it in a an assumed kind of voice, you know? Yeah. Like, it feels like a character like a character piece, and I don't know if I've ever written one of those before, and I don't know if I'll do one again. Um, so it has that... It kinda of has a uh, novelty factor for me that way.
1: Yeah, you you I might, like it. You might say it's theatrical.
3: I would say it's the one song um where I would definitely have to concede to you that it definitely <laughs> has like a th- a theatrical element to it that is undeniable.
1: I hope we're not fighting. I just hope this has not become a fight. Uh this is No way. <laughs> this it is, hasn't. <laughs> this is bank <laughs> this is Bangkok by Destroyer. Uh Dan this was a, always, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I like chatting with you. Thank you for being back on the show, and best of luck going forward. Likewise. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Like you have been around the world, seen a
2: million girls, I've seen bang call. I've seen bang
3: Light, bring out your dog, birds in flight, bring out your red roses too. Hey, what's good into sunny?
1: There you have it, Bangkok, from the new Destroyer album, Poison Season. I hope you enjoyed that song. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dan. It's always fun to talk to Dan. He's a thoughtful, thoughtful guy. Hey, you can subscribe to Creative Control with Vishkana on iTunes. You can listen to it and like it on AudioBoom.com. You can go to Patreon.com to make a flexible monthly donation to the show, keep it going, and you can also go there to view uh, the T-shirts that I have for sale for the show. You can also like and be a part of this show's Facebook page. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, at Vish Creative, and you can listen to the show, on, or at least a version of this show, on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM if you're in Guelph or the KW region. Also, you can listen to it anywhere in the world at CFRU.ca. It's mostly this show, podcast version, but sometimes it's different and exciting and interesting and uh, there's a lot more music sometimes, so check it out that's it for me, Uh, oh just an update, Uh, if you've been on the Facebook page or followed the Twitter I'm working on this Drive Like Jehu documentary it's very close to being done I'm just gonna finish a section and then give it a couple more passes it's one of those things where every time I listen to something I want to fix it and that can only go on for so long. That's why it's nice having the deadlines. You just put it out, and hopefully it's good. But I'm tinkering with this thing, but before long there will be a Drive Like Jay Who documentary that I'm very proud of and excited to, to, to share with you. It's uh, the first of what I hope will be a series of documentaries that I produce uh, for the show, so stay tuned for that. And another upcoming guest to tell you about FFS, Alex Capranos from Franz Ferdinand and uh, Russell Mail of Sparks. Those two bands are together. They're FFS. They're going to be on the show sometime soon as well. So there's a little update. That's it. All right. Take care. Talk soon.